Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that. As uh, that's actually one of the things that um, I'm realizing when I interact with people that aren't from the U.S. right now. There's like a culture. There's something that's happening right now with the way that we use words that's really important. And um, there's a resistance. I, th- I had a friend. My friend Bryce was just in Brussels, and he was. I don't know if I'm free to tell this story, but so I'll just keep it vague. But he was telling me that. Um, you know, there's this sense that when he when he was out there, people were like, "Oh, you're American. You're gonna be sensitive to to you, you, oh political correctness, political correctness." And then he said that like that was just an excuse to say some racist, <laughs> misogynist shit, right? For, for fucking sure, exactly. That it that is a complicated thing, not just in Europe. I mean, I deal with this. It's this is a in America like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the examples. Like, um, I, I was really, I've been against the term white trash for our, I swear to fucking God, I've been talk, talking about how people abusing the term white trash, uh, maybe since I was like a junior in high school. And I'm not saying that as like some statement of how genius I was. I'm not, I just, I just was witnessing the culture and going, cause I come from a fairly large black and Latino, uh, area. It was, it was like a one third Latina, one third, um, black, one third white, maybe a little more white, but the concept is like all these poor white folks, it became the other, like using the term white trash was the other, but more importantly, when you use the term white trash, you're actually already making an inference the other and you know you're demoralizing what you think is supposed to be better are you following yeah and and there is something fucked up about it because you're othering people who are struggling too you're not like hitting at the top like if we called uh white billionaires and bankers (laughs) white trash that might be a different thing but it's it is uh it's like a divisive uh it's a way of dividing the people um, you the, know. the bankers are the bankers are the white trash. I you actually turned me on this, but it's more. <laughs> I mean, for me, for me personally, it's just like realizing that by even saying white trash, when you're talking shit about another white person and saying white trash, you're also uh, making a negative statement about any other person. Like uh, you're already saying that black and brown is below, you know, or it's. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Because you, you, you have to specify that instead of that, that white is that white implies that you're great, and you have to put the qualifier to. But it's still that's interesting. I had never thought of that. I'm glad I you spent time thinking about this, and sharing uh, it with me. Welcome to my fucking world. As a privileged <laughs> white gay male with tall, blonde hair, blue eyed legs that everyone wants to look at. Yes, and tofu titties. <laughs> And or, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a staple on the show from now on. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can use it anytime you need it. It's there for you. Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to, every time a vegan comes on. Um, tofu, you got your tofu titties yet. Watch out, they're coming. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. I just saw something on Reddit that made me cringe, which is uh, people were like, like vegans were 
uh, in the vegan subreddit were really excited about Cory Booker because he's a vegan and he's like on the right side of veganism. I'm like, oh, dude, that doesn't make him okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an okay. I mean, here's in my world, I want Dianne Feinstein to be the most conservative person in the fucking Senate. So that's where I'm at. But that yeah, makes yeah. me a radical leftist. Yeah. That's the world I. That's the world I live in. Um, but yeah, no, I think we're probably somewhere in the same realm. Uh, and then the other thing that was interesting to me is that uh, I think David Cohen, the, the, one of the guys that flipped on Trump, he's uh, now saying he he switched party affiliation to Democrat, and everybody's like, "Ooh, look at this! It's such a great sign." I'm like, "No, they're infiltrating our fucking party, dude." <laughs> Wait, are you talking about are you talking about Michael Cohen, his lawyer? Yeah, Michael Cohen. Sorry, uh, his, no, no, his lawyer. Sure. He just he decided he's going to be a uh, uh, what's it called. A Democrat and like everybody's so so excited about that. Like that's bad. Yeah. Well, we don't have time for stupidity right now. I, I I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, stick yeah. to comics. No, well, no. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear he switched. Let's just hope he doesn't run for office as like a, a lawyer in jail or whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, the world. What's going on? Um. No, we can do politics. It's fine. But uh, well, well, I actually it, wanted to get a little bit into zines because that's something that uh, I because you brought it up and I wanted to like I, that was a, that's a very '90s thing. They they still do zines out here in LA. They like there was a zine festival not too long ago, but I just don't think it necessarily in the the world of the internet it doesn't necessarily. It used to be kind of like a little uh, niche thing, yeah. right? Which is like. Internet is all niche communities now, but it was this way of establishing one back in the day. Um, I don't. I think. I think there's a nostalgia for it. It's actually. I mean, in Europe, uh, specifically in Berlin, I noticed. Um, I haven't seen it much here in Athens. I mean, it's also. It's a whole other story, like finding places and knowing things are different here, like for me. So, uh, but I could say that the zine scene, in quotation marks, I did it again. Um, there is actually, it's similar to like people into vinyl records and whatnot. Um, and I don't mean this is a good or bad thing, but there seem to be like uh, sub communities that are like, spreading around i don't know if it's completely nostalgia or if it's like another way to create in some ways an elitist community i, I i'm doing all these ventures at once uh it's different than it was in the 90s because it was like people were just making shit uh and desperately like it was part of the punk scene in kansas city or seattle like i just remember exchanging I made zines and I just exchanged them with people in Denver, Seattle, um, New York. Uh, that's awesome. Texas. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of how it worked then is like you'd make something and you'd give some to the band that came in town and they would take some. And then there was like this, uh, I mean, in my case, actually, email had just kind of started. So it was a little bit easier. Uh -huh. But uh, there was a lot of like cassette tape exchange. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with like Miranda July's work. Um, no, but she Miranda could, July. She I'm familiar with her, but not not with her work. Well, she did a. She had uh, she had some interesting. Um, she created like a women's. Uh, that sounds it, it, just me as a male saying it. She created a women's thing. No, she had this. Uh, mo she was looking for other women who were making like video art, 
and they ex they had like a tape exchange, and uh, they did that very zine like they. Uh, she would leave them whenever she was traveling, and she created a very vast network of uh, um, young women. Well, not not always young, but uh, female filmmakers, and that is a huge part of how she. It was part of like the girl riot scene as well. Going on like another tangent, but the zines in Kansas City, like that's how I got in touch. Like that's how I first discovered her. That's how I discovered several of the, again, a lot of the, some people who are mainstream punk rock artists now were doing zines in the nineties and they were like just getting passed around. So, uh, that's how I discovered quite a few of my favorite artists. I still keep up with. I did you. So what, what was your, what was your zine about? Uh, the zine that I was called Inchworm, and it was mostly, it was actually about me being short, and I, I was drawing it after I had had my uh, growth spurt, mm -hmm. so it's sort of just, um, it's sort of Calvin and Hobbesy, but with like, you know, um, a bad coffee house cynical meanness going on, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, uh, w w it was comic book uh, format. Uh, yeah, the general, generally Com speaking, yes. I mean, or comic yeah, strip it had, format. No, yeah, it was, I mean, it was in a comic book form, and then, but it still had, like, uh, I would do uh, music reviews of, like, whatever, I, as indie bands. I had, all these terms have been so, like, overtaken that they make me embarrassed every time I say them. I don't know what to Well, but, uh, I think that, like, it's funny because uh, what used to be considered alternative in indie is his goes by a different name now, right? You can't alternative. You can't even say that anymore. What does it even or, mean anymore? I mean, we didn't even know what it meant when we used to say it. <laughs> we just knew it wasn't yeah, like classic rock. <laughs> and then Beastie Boys got thrown in there somewhere because they were, you know, like it was weird. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> um, yeah, I I remember the zine scene a little bit, uh, but I never got too involved in it. Um, yeah. But it does seem like it was like uh, an early way to connect with people that had similar interests and and sort of seek them out. I can't. I, yeah. I I I was never lucky enough to just find something, you know, find a zine that really spoke to me. But I'm sure a lot of people had that experience where they're like. Because back then, that was before Napster. You know, you used to have yeah. to go buy CDs for a song without having listened to it. You could, there was nowhere you could, like, review the whole album and sort of decide. So sometimes you would buy a CD, and you'd get stuck with this thing that you didn't fucking like. So this was, like, okay. a really uh, interesting grassroots way of, of, uh, of communicating um, with people. And now I still see it used as an art form. You know, and I, it's still it's still a beautiful thing and all of that. It's but in a world where there is also self publishing, it's sort of, um, you know. Yeah, that, I think that's where a lot of it's happening actually. And I would say that people have like upgraded. Um, I mean, there's definitely a hipster version of people still making zines and like photocopying them. But like, yeah, like technology changes, so then there becomes another effort to create this thing that seems like it's something that it's not. Um, so, yeah, I think the self-publishing on the Internet, I mean, I can't, again, I can't afford comic books, 
Um, I really only get to digest what friends either give me or suggest, like highly suggest. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but there, it's also we're in a we're in an age of like so much content. I mean, yes. everyone doing so many fucking things, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing it's it's funny to me because I used to be. Um, and I say this like an old man now, like fucking William S. Burroughs or something. But, um, <laughs> I used, I, people were like, Oh, you, you paint, you draw, you make sculpture, you do performance, you do film, you do video art, uh, you do uh, community activism. You're just like, you do everything. And it's like, uh, I'm glad now that, you know, that's not, um, that's not odd. Like that seems to be the normal now. Like, yeah. Uh, being yeah. multidisciplinary. Involved, yeah. Well, thank you for that. You just actually fun fact. And if Seth is listening, he'll understand maybe, um, mm. at school, uh, I was in the, I was one of the last people to go to SFAI, uh, or get into the program, uh, on a scholarship for the multidisciplinary program. Mm-hmm. And I kid, I fucking kid you not. The semester I got there, they canceled the program while I was there. Ah, oh, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. That so then sucks. We all had to, well, then they let us choose whatever the fuck we wanted to do, basically. But we were the last semester to do that. And then, essentially, they changed the um, – and I think most art schools have done this. Um, you can have, like, a major discipline, but pretty much you have to, like, at least put your finger in every pot before you – yeah, you go out. Yeah, but yeah, I, we, I digress because I don't want to get into my anti-art school thing. I'll I'll, I'll get me. Oh, Did we you can, go to art school? We can, we can uh, we can get into that. I I mean I'm doing this show instead of getting my MFA, so oh. <laughs> so I'm the right audience. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> this is what you do in your time. This is like this is how you're filling your semester credits by doing the show. Well, I'm actually not doing, I'm just, it just doesn't seem like uh, it's worth it. If I don't want to become a adjunct professor, I don't really need an MFA, you know? Like, I think, and I think that there's a push towards that now because, but I, I, here's how I feel about the MFA thing. And we are all over the place, but that's fine. Um, I kind of feel like, and, uh, and I may have already talked about this on the last episode before this one comes out, but, um... The idea of like, I think doing an MFA gives artists a sense of conformity that they can outwardly project to the people that don't understand what it means to be an artist, what it means to have this compulsion to create and to communicate in this particular way. And so like for parents, if you get an MFA, oh, okay, well, you, you went to school. That's what they know. That's what they're familiar with. And, and I think slowly... You know, I, the college board has gotten insane. <laughs> the yeah. way that all of that, um, there's like a gatekeeping that's happening right now. And what they're withholding from people is what they want, which is the education. And they're making it so prohibitive so that it costs, uh, you know, because it's the entry, you know, it's a requisite for getting into uh, teaching. But there used to be a time where you didn't you you could teach with a BFA and it would be fine, you know. There's oh, yeah, yeah, for and sure. So, so I think that there's this like you, you can't just to be clear, you can't at this point. And MFAs are ubiquitous; like they're useless. Um, I only have a BFA, and I am 
I'm in shock of myself for even telling you that right now. Actually, uh, I have a BFA, but I didn't fully pay for it. So the school uh, never gave me my diploma. Which oh, I well, now, you're, <laughs> now you don't, you That's, can't believe you're telling me that part too. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm very proud of that actually. Okay. I'm, one, I'm very proud of it. Um, well, that sounds super arrogant. Uh, I, I mean, yes, I went to school. I'm mostly a self-taught artist, but um, I don't uh, subscribe. Like, art school to me was a. Uh, I met some amazing human beings. Uh, there is no doubt, and I had a hand a handful of great instructors and some influences. Honestly, the only thing that I really took away from it were the history classes. Yeah, uh, and. And maybe five years, maybe five to six years of hangups because um, I, I deeply encourage people not to go to art school. And I know I can see like many people I know uh, furrowing their brow. But uh, it's – as a Midwesterner and as someone who could not afford it and was there on a scholarship and then also got – you know, I was in a city that I couldn't afford. Uh, I was hustling. I'm getting deep, I'm getting deep in the woods now. Um, I, nothing from that really benefited me even since I left. I mean, barring like some very minor, um, opportunities that the school afforded post leaving, they did nothing to help nor, I mean, I just don't, uh, it's, it's a, I don't, I, I, I used to call it a scam. I don't really call it a scam anymore because I, I think it's pretty obvious and I'm glad to hear that you're not doing it. I, I'm like sincerely, um, I'm overjoyed because it's less talky talky and more dewy dewy. If you really want to be making work or you want to be making, you really want to make an impact. Um, yeah, it's a horrible world out there and the art world is, um, it's got its issues uh, but if you're not doing the thing you want and making it happen, no fucking institution is going to do it for you. And no, there are no more teacher positions. I hate to break it to you. There's oh, just no, not. they're definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And now everyone's a fucking curator and gone like the curator curatorial MFAs are like so ubiquitous. It's like, you can't turn a fuck. I'm now I'm saying mean things. You can't pick up a piece of paper without finding a curatorial fucking MFA. Um, and again, like you got to follow your path and like, I don't dismiss people who do that. And I know some astounding human beings who have, but in their honest moments, they will fucking tell you that most of it's a giant scam. Like it's, you're going to end up leaving with what you brought, like other than historical knowledge, there's no, you can go to the library for that, you know? Yeah. And, and for that, like, I would say the BFA was helpful. It was also detrimental. Um, like you said, there was a period after I graduated where all the notions and all the rigors kind of put me in a blocked place. This idea of like how photography should be shot and all these things that you learn. Uh, yeah. um, and, and part of that is breaking away from that. I can't speak to what I would get out of an MFA because I haven't done it. I just know that I've had, I've heard a lot of the same things from people. It's like, look, man, if you don't want to get into teaching, it's not going to help your art career. You know, it it doesn't make a difference uh, if you've done it or not. Like it's, you know, what your work, your work is what's matter, what matters. And there's something interesting about that because I think, you know, to be academic, a lot of these programs have to be, um, uh, they have to have some sort of a rigor, 
Um, but it's also, you know, like you've got tenured professors there. How long have they been at these schools? <laughs> are they are they keeping up with the changing cultures and whatnot, right? Like, um, yeah. there are things that are happening that we, as as uh, as savvy as we might be and as uh, curious as we are about the world, even we, just by the virtue of our age, are completely clueless to, you know, like, there's a lot of 100%. shit. Go ahead. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, so, so for me, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting choice. You know, like for me, the, this show is basically me telling people, me telling the world like, yo, I don't, I don't know things. Uh, I'm going to have people come on and teach them to me. <laughs> you know, uh, I see what's my thesis. It just <laughs> so, and, and like, yeah, I just find this process a lot more rewarding. I feel a lot more connected to the people. Like, for example, we've just met. Uh, we actually haven't met you're in person. My, you're my new BFF. You're my exactly. BFF. We, we've had a very in-depth conversation about very personal things. It hasn't necessarily been an interview, but it is sort of an interview where I'm talking to you about what comics. So I think that there's a lot of workarounds to getting the same uh, education. Like you, you said, you can learn on your own. You know, this is essentially a celebration of research, right? Uh, and which is why I tend to only have, or I specifically have artists on here, because that's like, I think that's like the foundation of creative process, right? You you have to inform yourself before you say something. You can't really just be like, I'm going to make an, a, a piece of work about this topic and then not learn about the topic. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this goes into the drive. Like my thing is like when people, you, you either want to learn or you don't. So like if you don't have the drive to learn on your own, no institution is going, the idea that you're going to go into an academic situation, yeah, you're going to get forced to do some assignments. But even in those situations, I mean, I can only speak personally. Um, uh, yeah, some of it can be like, yeah, there, there are outside ideas or something I might have not thought of that someone like will push or trigger me to go do. But if you don't have the impulse or the impetus to, to want to do it on your own, I like, that's the thing. If you want to go into art school because you have a very specific agenda of like what you want to accomplish and, and you think that that will, uh, help you. Um, do research before you do it. Um, cause there are personality types that that does help. I, I know people who like learned a lot, uh, stuff that they wouldn't have through that situation. But I will say that in the end, even some of those same people, when they walked away from the system had the exact same complaints that I did, which is in the end, I kind of only learned as much as I wanted to learn. Um, yeah. and, and they all end up going back to somewhat of the same practice they started with so yeah absolutely and um, can I, can I, oh, no, go, go ahead yeah yeah i just wanted to make a really bad quip which is uh and i'll probably tell this is the problem when i think i have something really intelligent or funny to say when i regurgitate it it's not so just bear with me um I that's a good setup people, for a joke by the way <laughs> i'm this, a failed comedian as well so this uh, is a joke that is not gonna work i'm gonna tell it though go ahead <laughs> i'm gonna try really hard uh i used to when people are like oh how was well first of all wait there's a prequel 
the prequel is when I graduated and I got my BFA and then I didn't get my degree, but I still have it, yada, yada, and it doesn't matter. I remember how sweet my, my father – my father has um, got a PhD in literature and teaching, and he's a very amazing kind and whatever, an amazing human being. But um, when I graduated, he was like, you know, um, he's like, you got to be proud of that. Be proud that you, you know, it's not, you know, not everyone graduates from college and, um, which, whatever he was, he's just trying to be sympathetic because I was being cynical already. Mm. And I, I said to him, um, father, and I, this is like, I'm in church now. Father, <laughs> uh, um, I hate to break it to you, but I, art school didn't teach me anything. And that's a <laughs> That's the prequel. And then the other one is like whenever I'm hanging out with people and they're like, so what did you learn in art school? Like, how did it go? And I go, art school is fun. If you can get a proper uh, scholarship or fellowship or, um, you know, decent loan, whatever fits your economic status. Uh, But you need to know something, something very important, which is that all of your professors as sweet and as kind and as humanitarian as they may be. They all only know one spell. It's like Hogwarts. Oh, that's a like good way, good phrasing. And I'm not even a Harry Potter fan, by the way. I don't. I've only seen like three of the films. But it's like you go into class, and the thing is, you realize that a lot of the instructors are basically trying. One, there's a selfish nature of not teaching the spell they know, yeah, because they barely they barely have the career they do. And then there's the idea of like even if they're super. Um, loving and want to share their their art form, their magic practice, uh, like George Kushara, for instance, um, who like who would have in his lifetime, you know, shared every spell he had. In the end, you realize they're like, this was this is my spell. I have no idea what's going to get you through this. Like, I have no idea. And, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was, got a little. Uh, more cynical at the end. I'm sorry, but no, but I mean, these, these professors are human. And, and one of the things that was very clear to me after I graduated, uh, my BFA was the realization that some of my teachers were giving me a hard time because they were intimidated by me because we talked, we dealt with similar subject matter. And, uh, as soon as I graduated, I was going to be competing with them in the market, you know? And so, there's um they're people too. There's that. They're There's people too. That. And and so so you know, they have their own <laughs> concerns and the notion that just because they're professors they have your best interest at heart or you know or they 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 are somehow more equipped to help you find your voice like there's some validity to the rigor, right? To going to critiques and all of that. That's something that I think you can't I would say BFA I I wouldn't discourage people from going for that because there are some certain things that like there is a format, right? Like if I hadn't done my BFA and then I started doing studio visits now, it would, I would have to adjust to that experience of being critiqued, right? So there is some value in that. That being said, the critiques are not necessarily going to be beneficial for you because you're getting critiqued by humans that have their own aesthetic, even on the most basic level. And it might not be your aesthetic or they, it might not be the way that you see the world. Right. I would um, say aesthetic, I would say aesthetic and agenda, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. Say, say, yeah, exactly. Um, 
And so, so, so it's an interesting thing, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think one of the main reasons that was told to me and one of the things that was told, said to me is that if you are going to do your MFA, the best thing you're going to get from doing your MFA is a network of classmates. And so a lot of people want to go abroad for their MFA and that's great. But if you're not going to be hanging out in that city for at least a couple of years so you can build your network there, like it's not going to help. So if you're good at networking, like that's one reason that you don't need to go to grad school. Because <laughs> if, you, if you can already get yourself out there, meet people, interact and mingle, like that's the job. That's the job of being an artist. You have to sort of be seen, make connections. Um, again, Bryce Bischoff uh, told me early on when I first got to LA, the LA scene, art scene is very different than the Miami scene. The Miami scene is very centralized. Over here, everything is just everywhere. And so uh, Bryce was like doing already doing well, and I, I asked him like, so like how do you get to this level of comfort, you know, and uh, like uh, coming out? And he was like, it's like when I used to go to punk shows, you just show up, and the more you show up, the more people recognize you. It's about it's it's a scene, and it's about being it's, seen. There's a scene. Yeah, it's a scene. Exactly. It's a, you got to be seen. I mean, I'm in a dip, I mean, in the, that's 100% true. And I, I, uh, I feel for you being in LA. It's a town that I didn't particularly want to, and I have no, I'm not like a San Francisco hater on LA. I learned something really quickly when I moved from Kansas to uh, San Francisco is that everyone in San Francisco who hated LA was actually from LA. Yeah. Um, <laughs> every time I went to LA, I found it to be fine. I was like, yeah, it's actually a really nice town. Although people, I did get mugged there twice. People in but, LA um, don't care about that rivalry. Like <laughs> San Francisco's yeah. like, Oh, LA sucks. LA's like, San Francisco's cool. <laughs> yeah. And as a, as an outsider, I was just in awe. Like to me, it was just so boring and dumb. I'm like, have you been to Kansas? <laughs> Let's calm down everyone. Um, <laughs> But also, I would also, and then I plug, Kansas City is actually one of the most, like, I'm so lucky that I grew up there. Um, I can't even, I can't even, whatever, we all, I would hope everyone, like, personally identifies and has loving memories of the place they grew up. But I really, like, the more I travel, the more people I know, I know that's not true. And I'm yeah. really thankful that I grew up there. Um, it just gave me a sense of perspective for uh, something, something I can't quite articulate. I wanted to say something while you were talking about, um, concern to, uh, the MFA. Oh, I was going to, I wanted to give a community college plug. Oh yes. Uh, my thing is I've been to several community colleges. I actually went to film school at, uh, San Francisco community college before I went to SFAI. It sounds like I'm bragging, but it's not anyways. Uh, San Francisco Community College and the community colleges I went to in Kansas City um, were the best experiences I had. And I'm so fucking glad that I took art classes in those uh, those places before I entered the larger arena. Because, yeah. one, it's I just can't emphasize enough like how... When you're not like there's competition on every level when I mean, there's egos involved in art or filmmaking. Sure. But when you 
when you're taking, you know, fairly cheap or free classes at San Francisco is free right now. That's why I'm very upset with them for being free. I spent so much money going to San Francisco community college, but, um, they, I, I, I learned way more. If I did institutionally learn things, it was in those community colleges. It was yeah. not, it was not in the private schools or whatever. So yeah, I had some pretty contentious relationships with some professors at school where, um, they thought I was being arrogant, but I was really just depressed. And, yeah. and, and so like, that was where my silence was coming from. Um, and they took it certain professors took it very personally, uh, that I would like focus on doing, where did did you go to school? I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Florida international university in Miami. So that's, that's where I did my BFA. Uh, and you know, I still have teachers that I won't, uh, (laughs) whose names I won't say, but that I, I don't have an affinity for. (laughs) Oh, I've got an enemies list. It's like <laughs> three pages long. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> yeah, so, I had a lot of that same too. I had some moments in school where my life was going to hell and it wasn't, and it's art. So like, you know, you are your art in a certain sense, especially in those settings. Yeah. And um, I definitely owe an apology to one or two professors in particular, mostly because of this misunderstanding. But I, I hear you. Like that's a... It's a complicated thing. Like you're, you are your art. You're in these critiques. You're doing what you're doing in that moment, and then you're dealing with their aesthetics and their agenda, and you're trying to find. And their personal through. beefs with you, right? Like, because I definitely remember those people <laughs> laying into me the most. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> you know what? I'm glad we're both being so California and positive, and we're not going to name names. Because I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're free to. I, I still don't care. No. So, uh, you know, this is called adult eyes. Now, like, I don't, I do know the difference between speaking publicly and speaking privately. And, yeah. <laughs> and they know exactly who I am. And if they're listening, they're rolling their eyes as I talk. So go on. <laughs> I, I can almost guarantee you that they're not listening <laughs> oh i think you're gonna go global it'll be fun you're gonna be on you're gonna be on my podcast right yeah absolutely well time waster okay. radio right time waster radio but um my thing is we have to do it in person so the next time in la which will happen sometime in the next year all we'll right do it. that's i'd be super excited to meet you in person um quick, a quick question just circling back to uh to zines and um and comic books, because you said you used to draw. How much of that was an influence? Because for me, that was definitely the first times. That it, it, there's a leap between being somebody that draws uh-huh. and, and, and being somebody that defines as an artist. And so what was your intro? Was comic book drawing and things like that? Because, I mean, obviously, I grew up in, you know, in, in Rome, so I got exposed to a lot of uh, Renaissance and, and um, proto-Renaissance, Byzantine art, all of that, Gothic architecture, Renaissance architecture, all of that. And it, okay. it definitely absorbed me. But the first time I started to actually make art, I mean, I, back then I had some inklings, you know, in art classes, I was very good at sculpting and making uh, real life recreations and and doing somewhat realist drawing uh, paintings and stuff. But mm-hmm. when I first started to like 
love drawing, enjoy that, and and get into it. The first thing that art became mine, instead of just this thing that was external, was trying to draw Batman and trying to draw those things. And it sounds like the zines might have also uh, influenced that for you. How can you can you speak to that? Um, I would say that um, I mean the Batman. That's like. That was ubiquitous, uh, ubiquitous. I feel like, sorry, I'm in sipping Cipero, which is the Greek version of grappa. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like too early for me to catch up to you. It's 9 a.m. here. Yeah. It's 9 p.m. here, and I'm already well in. I'm well in. Um, so it's probably like 11 a.m. here. Oh, shit, we've been um, talking for two hours. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We could go on for days. Um, yeah, I, I really wanted to keep you in so you didn't have to break this up, but apparently we've already – no, we haven't crossed that path yet. But um, to answer your question, uh, yeah, um, I mean comic books like Batman – I would say that like because of TV, TV had a much bigger influence. Like um, I came to comics through TV. Okay. Uh, so um, – Yes. I mean, I can remember, like I told you, like getting grounded and then like remaking my toys. I would say that was a, a hyper element, but like the transition of like when, it, well, first of all, I don't really like calling myself an artist. Um, I mean, at this point it's getting kind of ridiculous, um, because I'm so famous. Um, that was a joke. <laughs> um, you can be an artist, an unknown, unknown artist. Art is I'm not on the reception. <laughs> Art is on the creation. I, I might be one of the most well-known unknown artists you know. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> but that's, that said, uh, to, eh, you know, my parents actually had – I love my parents, so apparently I keep repeating it. And now I'm tipsy, so I'm doing oh, – I love my parents. Um, my mom, who was uh, – I was adopted, and she um, – we had a ceramic studio in our garage, and we oh. also – yeah, which why did she? We, we weren't allowed to touch because um, you know it was expensive and all that stuff, or you know, and it was her her was like her hobby, but she also had a small oil painting studio. And so, to answer your question, um, I do remember a point where, it, whether it was true or not, in my mind, my mom wasn't using her studio, mm-hmm. and so I just sort of like I. I don't, I would take over the studio. Like she, my mom worked nights. She was a postal worker. And I just remember like painting in this small cubby of a room, uh, stealing her paints mm-hmm. and stealing her brushes. And, um, just out of the, I was exploring, like, uh, after looking, I started looking at, at Picasso and, um, they had the time life, like art book series, you know, Rembrandt and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And I remember like where I just transgressed from, I was like, I love, I love line. Like I've, I still do. It's my favorite thing. Drawing pencil, uh, yeah. being in class and not paying attention and, you know, making my own shit. Uh, suddenly I just decided to, it was naughty. It was super naughty. I, I was like stealing her materials to make <laughs> these terrible, like terrible, abstract paintings that were like Bob Ross inspired, but like it start off wanting to make a tree in mountains, but then I would like go, they were, it all ended up being very phallic, like, mostly like <laughs> stalactites and st- you know what I'm, or you, how old you were you at me? this like, point? 
Oh my God. I mean, I think I started doing it a little, like probably around 12 or 14. I was, I was definitely doing it, but especially around 16, uh, she wasn't using the studio nearly as much. And like, so I would like sneak in and paint something while she was at work. And then these are oil paintings, by the way. So oh. I would like sneak them back into my room and hang them. They would, they, my oh. parents were fully aware of what was going on, but, um, yeah. So Super you, sweet. you didn't know anything about uh, uh, fat underlean? I or, knew. Uh, I still don't. What are you talking <laughs> about? What is oh, just how you have to layer paints. I think uh, you, if you put fat, uh, like fatty paint under thin paint, the thin paint will crack on, uh, on top of the the oil. So there's like. Oh, you is picked, that how I came up with my style? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, you picked like the hardest material to start using as a kid because there's like a, a proper way of like making sure it works. Oh, yeah. No, these were – yeah, yeah. No, no. I was just putting paint on surface and that's all that fucking mattered. And um, yeah, I remember I brought some of those paintings into my first uh, – commun- I dared not show them in my Catholic uh, high school. So when I got to the community college – you know, like similar to a critique, they're like, what have you done before? And I remember bringing in some of those paintings and my professor, um, I think his name was James Merritt. I'm sorry if I kept getting it wrong. He only painted, uh, oils of like world war two fighter pilots. Okay. Um, and I need to tell you that at Kansas city, Kansas community college, I was one of three students in the painting class. (laughs) <laughs> and so our critiques were very intense <laughs> yeah <laughs> like how long were the classes an hour each for, for, for no, critique? They, no they were no these were three hour painting classes but uh no that's what i mean like they, three hour class yeah, there was but, like I, the mom there was Oh, the critiques. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. They would go on. Oh, yeah. With three of us, it would go on forever <laughs> because we were taking it. So there was a woman who was only painting teddy bears and then there was another um, – it was like – and there was like uh, – wait, teddy bears? Yeah. It was like warplanes, teddy bears, and this other woman was doing pretty straight up like Bob Ross kind of uh, landscape stuff. And then there was me doing these cryptic repressed homosexual – cave paintings that were literally stalactites jizzing, but with like neon colors. And I remember my professor pulling me aside after like the third critique and just said, um, Peter, it's a, it's very apparent. You need to express something sexually. And I was like, what? I had no fucking, I seriously had no idea. And he, cause I thought I was taking these, like these serious landscape was like, I'm making caves and like, but I wanted to have like this contemporary neon flow. And he was like, these are cocks coming. And I was like, <laughs> oh so, so you were oh unaware God. of your Georgia O'Keeffe-ness uh, at the time. I had, no, I had, the, my level of naivete is like um, astounding to this day. I still do things where people have to point it out and I go, oh my Lord. What was so I thinking you, about? Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, cause, uh, I'm trying to get a timeline here. Uh, at 16, you were still repressed. So when did you, uh, you said you knew before, but when did you come out? Like, I didn't come out till I was like 17 and a half. I came out my like 
the, the summer of my junior year in high school, but I, that's actually not completely true. I came out to a very select group of people, uh, but apparently it was known throughout the county. That's the other thing. I grew up in a place where there was literally no one out, like no one, not yeah. even, there wasn't that even must like have been your, no gay uncles, no, you know, no, not even like, um, what, what's the term we want to use here? Like, no, there wasn't even like a subversive element of like, oh, well, that person, like there wasn't even a hint of it. Oh, wow. So like I literally was alone. Like when I, those feelings were deeply like, and again, my family is very comforting and um, hospitable. But even in that situation, I, the level of societal embarrassment or like growing up in a Catholic church, I just like, there was no, I didn't have a vocabulary for it. So, and how, like, how long before you had your first like relationship? Uh, I actually, or, or not even just uh, relationship, because if there's no one to have uh, intimacy, like, how how do you have that? Did you have to leave Kansas, or were you able to find someone eventually? There, you no, know, Kansas City, Kansas City, the metropolitan area, Kansas City, Missouri is actually, there's quite a bit of like, uh, there were several gay bars. Actually, Kansas City, Missouri, for the longest time, had, I think, the most, um, had the largest count of lesbian bars in the nation. Um, oh, wow. Maybe the world, actually. Yeah. Which is actually, that goes into a whole other story because I was really, um, lesbian bars are where I truly came out. Um, but that's a separate story. Uh, but I, I want to say that with concern to the, what I discovered as a repressed homosexual. And again, like just like being taught over and over again, like this is wrong, not by my parents, but mostly through school and mm. through like, I, you know, not Bible study. We didn't call it Bible study. religion class is what we called it. Um, I was at lunch table with my sophomore year. And I heard a couple of the guys who were like seniors or juniors talking about how they went to a, this gay cruising park uh, to fuck with people. Um, um, yeah, to, like they were beating people up and wow. driving by and throwing bricks through their windows. And what did I do? I stole my parents' car and drove to that gay bar. It's <laughs> a quick summation. But the thing is, too, also, I had this idea, like, I was still in this romantic element of it. Like, um, I didn't realize what I thought, like, the gays were getting together to, like, be friendly and helpful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, so, yeah, like, and even that is pretty fucking intense. You have to put yourself in a very vulnerable spot and trust that everything's going to be okay. Like, that's not like dating for us was. That mo That's pretty insane. It's yeah. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, no, I, I often think like, yeah, it's it, with adult eyes. Again, I look back at a lot of stuff that I did and it truly is insane. It was insane. But then you look at the circumstances that of which I was, it, I had no other choice. And like, again, physically, I knew that I was only attracted to men. I knew that it was wrong. And then I heard that there were people doing that. And I heard that place to go, and that sent me on, you know, this whole, you know, there's other little tragic. Um, I don't know if you saw my film Queer in Kansas, and I'm not trying to plug here, but um, no, you're more than welcome to plug anything. Go ahead. Hmm. Well, just that's a good. Um, I made. I was working on a feature film for a while. I'm still working on it, but I made a short version that whatever 
traveled the world. I say so lightly. Um, but it's an 18 minute film and it's just called queer in Kansas. And it gives you, I hope like a fairly decent peak of like the, my version of psychology. And I mean, it's like an experimental, I love these phrases are horrible, but it's just a, a statement of like, I was taking video footage actually, not when I went to the gay Chris parks, but, um, at the time, someone gave me a camera, and I, of course, I, like, whatever, the real world was really popular at the time, and so, like, I thought I might be on, like, real world seven, or season 11, and... Um, That's a great ambition to have. <laughs> well, when you're a fag from Kansas, you got to have some fucking goals. You got to have something. No, I, I, I'm not. I'm not belittling that ambition. Oh, I, no, I, 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 I know you're. I know you're not. Uh, it's it's context. It contextualizes your experience very, very, very much. Um, it's uh, it's. I think that what I hear from that is a want to be seen and validated. And uh, also an, a, a desire to kind of be put into a situation where you're not like a different situation as well. So it seems like it's there's an element of uh, joining the army to go to uh, college kind of thing <laughs> there. And, or, and also like capitalizing on the exotic nature. Like it, there was a point where I had a switch in my brain and it was my best friend in high school. Um, it's just a, a whole entire podcast in and of itself. I'm not joking, but I remember when I came out to her, uh, I was trying, we, you know, you drink and drive in Kansas. That's what you fucking do. Like I can do it with my fuck. I mean, don't do it as an adult, but as I, like we were just raised that way. I can't even yeah. explain. Um, as she used to say, my truck was her favorite bar. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I remember one night specifically, I like, you know, she, I'm pretty sure. Well, we were driving and I was like, this is like, you know, after a year and a half or so of like me being super closeted as a teenager and like going to gay cruise parks and learning all kinds of adventures that we won't talk about here. And I remember like building up the courage to tell her. And I mean, she was a, an amazing human being. Um, her sardonic nature is still unsurpassed by anyone I've ever met to this day. But I was sitting in the truck and I'm driving her. I was her chauffeur at the time. And I'm driving and I'm like, I'm going to tell her tonight. And I tell her tonight. And I tell her tonight. And as we're driving, I remember going, Sarah, I have, to some, I have something I have to tell you. And she was like, yeah, can we play that Breeders song again? And I was like, yeah, I got something to tell you. You know the Breeders, right? You know, yeah. Breeders yeah. On that. Oh, yeah. So anyways, I said, um, yeah, I've got something to tell you. And she was like, yeah, what? And I was like, uh, I take another sip of vodka or whatever, Diet Fresca or something. And um, I was like, uh, uh, I'm gay. And I remember, look, like, first I just stared forward at the steering wheel. We stopped at a light. There was silence. And I remember looking over to her. And I was like, so? And she was like, does that mean we can start sneaking into gay bars now? Jesus. <laughs> Finally, you came out. And I was like, oh, was it, not, was it that obvious? And she was like, was it that obvious? <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, that's um I mean, I mean it, this is a mid-90s thing, like for sure, like uh 
but you can't underestimate the psychological prison. Like that's one of the things that's like really bothersome about what's happening currently politically is that, um, the back steps, uh, it's like when you're not coming, when you don't, when you can't concretely understand, uh, which, you know, most cisgendered straight folks, even if you can identify or, um, Oh no, we definitely can't like understand. Well, it, I mean, at, at this point, I think culture is shifting, like on some entertainment levels, like people are, there is a generational shift. Like it, I'm turning into an old man where like I am speaking to younger queer folks or whatever the term is that I'm saying incorrectly right now. Um, but as we're, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, like this is my experience. And like, I came from a psychological prison and I might not be saying everything correct at the same time, which I think a lot like Trump capitalizes, like this is what a lot of straight people feel right now is that, um, within culture, you know, you're afraid to say the wrong thing. And that's good in a, in a certain sense. Like you do need to be like understanding who you're speaking to, uh, you know, creating a level of empathy within your brain before you just like, uh, espouse your experience as though like somehow the person this goes to racial like it's you don't none of us we're never in anyone else's shoes and so this concept of like constantly uh it, it the left has gone a little bit too far in a certain sense i know i'm getting tangential again but uh, we have to find a balance where we can talk to each other and not vilify each other immediately and say your opinion doesn't matter but on the other hand Understanding, that especially queer folks, uh, especially—I uh, mean, I'm speaking for my generation—in the Midwest, it was a prison. Like it was literally a prison, and yeah. Um, yeah so I don't. It's fascinating. I mean, when I meet younger people who are like, "Get over it," I'm like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> sort of." Well, that brings me to another thing that uh, is only uh, sort of related, but. Um, I have a, a thing when people tell me like, oh, uh, you know, my grandfather is racist, but it was a different time. It was a different time. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like you love your grandfather, but don't apologize for a dude that made other people's lives fucking miserable. <laughs> like for me, that whole, like, it was a different time. It's like, yeah, but now we see that time in context and like, that's not okay. You know? So, so I do think yeah. that I think there is an element of that, like, um, and that is an interesting thing, just generationally, uh, the acceptance that people have now, like, I think, uh, I saw a comedian do a joke about how, uh, he's bitter at the younger generation because they're coming out as young as eight years old. And it's like, no, you bastard. You have to sit yeah. in a closet, in a bedroom, yeah. in a dark room, listening to Madonna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or yeah. In, my, in my case, Courtney Love. But yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's, it, it's fascinating. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll notice. I mean, we're the, essentially the same age. But um, I start to – I mean, I do have to think about that uh, – it's complicated because we don't we're our culture is also our culture and just globally we're moving so fast yeah we're losing track and i think this is where like the right wing and the like fascist agenda is 
they are not as unintelligent as people would like them to believe. They realize that culturally speaking, um, we're kind of a mess and there, there are ways to capitalize on people feeling alienated. And that goes to like anyone in society. It's just, um, it seems so obvious to anyone who has a brain that this whole thing is just a nightmare, but I can see sometimes, and I, maybe this is the Midwestern element. I can see where people think they're being left out. Um, and to your point with like the grandfather being racist, I want to just do a, a shout out as kids used to say 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, my grandparents on my adopted side were, I never heard them utter a rate. I mean, I wasn't like paying attention like an adult with like sharp fucking ears, but my grandparents and the majority of my uh, aunts and uncles just come, they came from a different place. Like they were like blue collar Democrats and they were maybe naive in some other things, but they were like, I never heard them uttering racist terms. And I think fucking Jesus. And I said, Jesus, um, I think that <laughs> I heard you. I think that, I thank them for that experience. Like I grew up in a Catholic school where I heard this from other people and my peers, yeah. but in my family, I never heard, I never heard a fucking, like I never heard anything but trying to help people. And I can't be more thankful. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I still felt too afraid to come out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like no, I absolutely. But that's, I mean, that's not necessarily on your family at all. You know, um, that, that, that's more on the community at large. Um, you know, and, and I think that to some degree you had it even harder because you also had to decide, acknowledge that you're an artist. So that as far as I'm concerned, that's two coming outs, right? Because <laughs> parents aren't exactly thrilled when you go to them like, hey, dad, I want to pursue a career that's not necessarily going to make me a lot of money. Um, what yeah. do you think? <laughs> yeah. As an adopted child, as the oldest child, too. That's the other part, you know, yeah. like, yeah. But I would say that um, I was also really lucky in that my mother was an artist and my father is is an artist as well as a teacher and public school teacher his entire life. And they, I don't know, they were just, uh, when I, when, you know, I re- actually when I graduated from high school, my father, you know, uh, at our school, they had to, um, they encouraged the parents to write a personal letter. And I will never forget that when I graduated from high school, my father had written a letter that said to me that I read when I got my diploma that said something along the lines of, you know, the world has, um, the world is a bountiful place and many personalities, uh, and it has plenty of lawyers and plenty of accountants. It could welcome another artist. And like, so, you know, whatever. I'm super fucking lucky. That's amazing. I had yeah. similar parents. I, 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 uh, uh-huh. so I don't want, I don't want to be like, oh, my, my dad is, I mean, my dad listens to the show. So <laughs> Hi dad. Hi Javier. <laughs> so, so, but yeah. He's going to learn a lot. He's going to learn a lot. That's one. <laughs> oh, he's going to, he's, I'm, I can only, I, sometimes I stop to think about how much he's learning about me and I was, yeah. and I'm like, and, and I'm like, I don't think we could, I could ever 
teach him that much about myself and how I feel about things if we had a, just a straight up conversation because his impulse would be to parent me, <laughs> yeah. you know, and now he can just sort of hear how I see the world, which is, is a great experience. So yeah, that's all, that's, that's only if he gets through the giant comic book lingo that was the first hour. Oh, yes. He's probably not going to get through this episode. <laughs> he has a thing against pointed ears. He's like, I don't like uh, movies or TV shows that have pointed ears. Speaking specifically Uh-oh. about Star Trek, but also including any sci-fi. Um, well, tell him off air that we really accomplished a more substantial goal at the end. But yes, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will probably also listen back to this. And if I think that we're getting too in the weeds on comics, where we're just like for five minutes going like, oh, do you know this writer? Do you know this writer? I'll probably trim it down to like a manageable episode. <laughs> it's it's your podcast. You do what you want, but I'm all for it. <laughs> all right, cool. I, cool, I man. I think the kids need to know. I think the kids need to know. Oh, I mean, I probably, I'm also very lazy when it comes to editing. <laughs> so It's a lot of fucking energy. We didn't even get to that. Okay. Yeah. That's my last point. I want to get to this, which is yeah, go ahead. books to film editing. This is uh, when people, uh, I speak to a lot of young filmmakers and um, editing comes really naturally to me. Uh, natural, natural, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I never quite understood it. And then, have you have you read Scott McCloud's uh, Understanding Comics or his series? No. Scott you should McCloud's? read that as well. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah, um, it's a really. I mean, if you're gonna make a comic, you got to read it. It's really important. But the thing is, while I was reading that, um, he makes a lot of uh, comparisons to film and film editing, and that is exactly what was happening. Like, if you read, if you're like digesting comics, um, and I mean, again, properly written and illustrated comics. Uh, those are like perfected storyboards like yeah. on a level that you can't quite, you know, comprehend until you get into the film world. And so whenever I'm giving a lecture, I, whenever I'm giving a lecture to, uh, uh, film students, I bring up comics incessantly because I, I feel like in their free time, besides just obsessing over like obscure, you know, auteurs or whatever, they should be reading the best graphic novels they can because there is no better way to understand the juxtaposition of the image and the meaning, the emotion, and the narrative plot than reading comics. So It is. I would 100% agree with that. Um, well, you know, as sort of as a wrap-up question, what do you think you got most out of comics? Like... What would, what, what, you know, growing up through the years, adult eyes, childhood eyes, like what, it, what is your relationship to comic books? Obviously you, you, you have a different relationship now, but like what, yeah. what, um, cause for me, I, I also like, I just, it's almost hard to explain and, and put into, into practice or it, it verbalize it. But I, I like the, it, it's sort of a way, a place where paganism has managed to stay alive where we have these these american deities and right like right now it maybe would be kind of hard to start an entirely new religion without it being called the cult uh but these myths there is something of value to them um and and you know something akin to sort of like uh, greek mythology as well which is why wonder woman is so so rooted in that and oh we should have talked about wonder woman oh we should <laughs> 
can. Do, we still can. We still can. Go on. <laughs> yeah, we can do it. Um, do, have you have you read any of Brian Arizeo's, uh run? It's a recent one in the last like five years. No, I, I if you if you want to read a good uh, good run on on Wonder Woman, uh, that would be it. It's pretty fucking dark. It, um, uh, can I spoil some things about it for you just to entice you? Yeah, yeah. But before you do that, have you read, did you read the most recent reboot of glory? Like in the last five years as well? No, no. Okay. Well go on. So, so in it, it's a lot more real world and harsh. Like for example, the Amazons, um, they kill all the men. <laughs> That's why they don't have, uh, men on the Island. And so it gets into this really interesting dark thing, and he plays with the relationship that she has to Zeus and Hippolyta, or I—that's I, a name I've only ever read. <laughs> Hippolyta. No, how do you I, pronounce? I've listened. I've listened to you enough to know that you do. I love this part where you don't know how to pronounce something. No, you're 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 fine. That was fine. Okay, um, and and all of that, but yeah. So like, there there is something to that storytelling, and. For me, it's less of a passive experience than watching a TV show or watching a movie, right? There's an active part because even though the images are presented for you, you're still reading and mm. you're still imagining maybe panels in between panels and, and the broader story. But like what, what, why, for example, I asked you to pick a topic and you pick comics, which I'm very grateful for because it's a topic that like, for example, I think... Uh, one of the interesting things is that we always talk about how Japanese culture is very heavily influenced by the bomb going off in Nagasaki and Hiroshima and the, the, all of their obsession with radiation. But if you look at DC and Marvel comics, it's the same shit. Spider-Man got bitten by a radioactive spider. Uh, yep. The Hulk was, was uh, during the, uh, the, the testing... You know, the nuclear testing, he got hit by gamma rays, all of these. So this is our legacy of that nuclear era that can kind of continues. So the myths are maybe not uh, as pagan, like maybe people don't necessarily believe, or I would hope people don't necessarily believe in Superman and, and all these people. But, it, and it, but in fact, if you look at the DC comic characters like Batman and Superman, and then you look at the Marvel characters that come from Stan, like Stan Lee was all nuclear age, all like, you know, the children of the and, atom. And Jack Kirby. And Jack sure. Kirby as well. So, so I just find that, find that interesting. Like when, you know, it's something that we look at other cultures and we're like, oh, we dropped the bomb on them. It makes sense. But like we dropped the fucking bomb. <laughs> we had to uh, uh, also digest that progress. We had in the 60s, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis, which uh, yeah. so like these things are important cultural representations that maybe have been relegated to sort of like a niche nerdy sort of like little kid thing. But there is some li there's there are literary things that are happening that are very profound and reflective of culture. And, and and so for me, I love talking about this because it's a very, you know, they're very personal, but they're also very cultural. Yeah. And I just wanted to, to know why. Well, why you're well, so I, I, so oh, brought sorry. in, drawn into them. Sorry. <laughs> No, I apologize. And I'm sorry, we're due to Californianism, so we'll just apologize until the end of time. <laughs> um, no, uh, actually, uh, I hadn't – thank you for that um, because I hadn't uh, I hadn't actually thought of that American twist on the radiation or the um, 
Because it's true with the Marvel characters. I mean, we can get into the weeds on that, like the difference between the two universes and like the powers and non-powers. Uh, that is interesting. I hadn't really put it in that. I hadn't thought of those characters in that same way. So um, I'm very appreciative. Um, California. I would also, <laughs> yeah. I would also say that um, let's see. Wait. With concern to the digesting i mean i do think like yes they are the modern myths or and yeah we're bridge it wouldn't surprise me like it wouldn't surprise me i'm surprised there isn't a a a house of batman yet i'm i'm really it actually america deserves that um what do you mean a house of batman like a museum no like a church where people literally come on (laughs) sunday to listen to i like that much better Bruce Wayneisms or something. I don't know. Um, well, even that myth of like you brought this up, but like that myth of the benevolent billionaire is prevalent. Like that's like you, you know that's where we're starting to get into problems with Elon Musk, where we've just canonized him, and now he's just a fucking human who's an eccentric asshole who's got way too much money. <laughs> you know. And, and so is Elon Musk of a Bruce Wayne, and then like, and also we may or may have not covered this. But Trump literally, and again, not giving him propaganda, I want to take it down, but he, to me, and this is since the moment he started running for president, coming down that escalator, mm-hmm. his entire campaign, to me, uh, felt like if you were writing a 1960s Batman TV show <laughs> and they were coming up with villains, they would have he come up with He is a fucking him. Batman villain. Holy yes, but- shit. <laughs> Yes, like the orange suit, the gold, the man with the golden suit. He's toxic. Like he has to be in. Like I actually, I don't want to give away. I've created a comic book character that's revolving around this. But he, um, I have my own universe of comic book characters, which I've been really good about, careful and not explaining. That said, <laughs> I really feel like the TV writers would have been like, yeah, like yeah, we need another millionaire, faux billionaire who's like fake, represents everything Bruce Wayne doesn't. Um, I know oh, you're making me so uncomfortable with this. Yes. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> but the thing is like, he's not comic book worthy. He is the TV, the 1960s TV show yeah. version. Like he, he's this like horrible clown caricature of like a Bond villain. Like he would have been like a write off Bond villain, but for Batman and like the orange man, the man in the orange suit, blah, blah. <laughs> and, uh, and also, I mean, it's, his wife is a KGB agent. It's all, it's right now. It's right now. Um, but that said, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the myths are there. And I mean, the comic books reflect what's happening. It's just like anything like sci-fi is always representing what's happening in culture. The comic books are doing the same thing. Unfortunately, they come out on a monthly basis and they're being written. So they have a little time lag. Um, we, yeah, I, I would say, uh, you made you were asking me like what comic books, the importance of them or how yeah. I feel about them or now. To, to you personally, just like how, well, how did they, how were they developmental to you or formative to that's you? What, so I would say, what I would say is that they, um, similar to what I think and I hope is still happening now based on. I mean, again, I have like an adult version of what I'm reading and like I have a filter. I don't go through every X-Men fucking escapade there. And I, you can see the foil cover coming. That was a 90s reference. Yeah. Um, they, I have a foil covered would, uh, Venom, number oh, one. Oh, I, 
I used to do have the Wildcats too, still in storage in a plastic sleeve, but I could be wrong. <laughs> do, um, do you, uh, just, would, just to update you real quick, sorry, finish your thought. Go ahead. Well, I just want to say that I think that the comic books, like the thing that they meant to me, and I hope they're still happening now, is that there there was like there is a subversive element to them, um, even for straight uh, cis white males, yada yada, or cis males, sorry. Um, the of expanding the beauty of fiction and storytelling is just to give people an opportunity to see or experience something, even in fiction, that they might. You know, just to trigger a thought and trigger not being a negative word. And the concept here is that, like, uh, I don't keep up with them nearly as much as I used to. But I do think and I have a hope that what they're doing now is the same thing they did for me back in the 90s, which is um, expose me to some idea, magic, magical thinking, paganism, um, and not necessarily in some, like, devotional way. But just the idea that these other things are out there or even, in fact, um, sort of a reinterpretation of like the politics of World War Two and World War One and the Civil War. Um, and I don't mean that by the Captain America thing because that was horrifying. I can't even talk about it. Um, the second one was better. I, I have the same issues with the first one. They just did an, uh, another one. I, I fucking hate. That's when I started. Like, I do not like Captain America and I was talking about the movie too, but yeah, yeah. I, I I actually don't pay that much attention to Marvel because I think they're they're the Star Wars of most. I'm not I'm not a fan of what they do mostly. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, so no, the, you're, you're the, recommending the, Civil War too. I'll I'll look into it. No, you don't have to. It's really not that worth it. It's the same shit. But for me, that like uh, the Civil War storyline really destroyed um, the the Marvel universe for me for a long fucking time. Because I just got so sick of the drama between uh, Captain Marvel and, and Iron Man. Um, wanted to ask you, oh, do you know yeah. that, uh, that the original X-Men are back now? Like the original four X-Men, Jean Grey, uh, Iceman. Oh, oh, by the way, Iceman is gay. Did you know that? I have seen articles, but I have not read. He's it's he's actually written by uh, the brother of the one of the co-founders of this thing called Made in L.A. that I am a very big supporter of. That happens hmm. out here. Um, but uh, yeah, his name is Cena Grace. But yeah, so what they did Why is it got to be the Iceman though. Why is it got to be the Iceman? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I don't think it was his decision. The metaphor of the power. No, no, I understand. I was being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but the what powers they, and the metaphors are important. But go on. What the uh, what they did was they brought what uh, Hank, um, not Hank Pym, but what's his what's what's Beast's name? Doesn't oh, matter. Uh, Hank something. But go Hank on. Hank McCoy. That's what it is. McCoy. Good job. <laughs> something that the listeners do not care about, but that you and I really care about getting right. <laughs> yes. So exactly. he brings. Exactly. So there's like. Um, he brings back all of the, uh, the, the original X-Men into the future, or he brings them to the future so that they can sort of uh, make, every, make all the divided factions kind of remember what the point of being an X-Men is. But it's actually a really interesting run. It's uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis has done oh, some... Bendis is, Bendis is a good one. He's a good one. Yeah, he's done some pretty interesting ones. He, did, he's, uh, he just... Uh, I think Iron Man is dead. Tony Stark is dead. And they... Thank uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Tony Stark fan. Um, and and so he's dead, and now they've replaced him with Ironheart because Brian Michael Bendis has, uh, I think, a stepdaughter who's African-American. So Yeah, Ironheart, she's a young black woman, right? No? Yes, and then yeah. also, I don't know how, they, how this works uh, with the storyline, but Thor is a woman now. I, I heard that, and that's awesome. I'm glad they're doing some of that stuff, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, they. Oh wait, there were you. You mentioned like sixteen things I wanted to comment on, but um, yeah. Oh, why can't they address the alcoholism with Stony Tarts? Stony. Now I'm drunk and slurring <laughs> and talking about alcoholism. <laughs> exactly, girl. I got my problems. It's a difference. It's a, it's a, um, uh, it was disappointing in the movies that they just like glazed over that. It was boring because the whole point is he's in that suit and he can't, it's horrible. Like he's in pain, his yeah. life is shitty and he gets out and he needs a fucking drink. And then the movies, they had Robert Downey Jr., the perfect person to play that. And they could not, <laughs> they could not do that. It was just sad, sad. Just one second. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Um, sorry. Tangential. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely look into all those. Um, cool, man. Anything it, else you want to add? How many uh, cigarettes have you rolled while we've been talking? You're so good at rolling I, cigarettes. You're watching me do this, right? Yeah. This, if is, this is actually really unfair. The listener should know. I can see you, but you can't see me because I don't have a camera on my computer. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering about that at one point. I was like, yeah. um, okay, well, I'm not going to announce it on the radio because it's really sad. The other, because there's another important part here. I too have a heart condition like Tony Stark. Um, I have Marfan syndrome. And, what's it? What's it uh, called? Martin. Marfan. Marfan. Okay. Marfan. M A R F A N S. Um, they think uh, Abraham Lincoln had it too, so that's why I'm super elongated. Oh, is that why? Supposedly, we'll see. And then um, the horrible part of the story, as you pointed out, that I've been smoking so many cigarettes, and I apologize to my parents who may or may not listen to this. Oh, I, sorry, I busted you. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Yeah, you're totally fine. Um, no, my podcast is all about me quitting smoking, and apparently, <laughs> it's, apparently, it's not happening. Um, but I just started smoking in the last. It's it's it less than a year now. I never smoked in my entire life, um, and then like suddenly last December, I started smoking. So, um, um, but I it's could- going to end. It'll end in a year. It's, this is a project. It's a performance piece. It took five years to quit, or five tries to finally officially quit. For you? Yes. How long did you smoke? Oof. On and off from what, before I was old enough, so I would be like 15 till yeah. uh, 30, on and off, for like but several Cal- years. The thing that would fuck me up is like, for you know... Um, I would drink and think I could drink, I could smoke socially while I was drinking and then it would just get me hooked. Uh, that yeah. happened a couple of times. And then I did a study abroad program in Florence and everybody over in Florence smoked weed. Everyone with, smokes. Everybody. Yeah. But they also smoke exclusively spliffs because you can't really uh, smoke hash by itself. And so that's another time that I got hooked. So I would, it's, it, it's not like I smoked from 50, like I didn't smoke 15 years straight. I took, uh, I quit and then I would get sucked back into it from doing something stupid, like thinking I had willpower. And, um, 
But yeah, so I do not envy you. <laughs> no. It's going to end. It's a, yeah, yeah. I've given myself an amazing timeline, but yeah. I was like, what? Well, I can make, do one year of chain smoking. I mean, I'm, you've seen it now. I'm yeah, chain yeah. smoking. It's horrifying. Um, so to answer your question, one, since we started, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's three an hour. That's actually pretty good. That's, That's good. not Thanks too- for pointing out. <laughs> I feel better about it now. I feel better about it. Well, and then you also have to roll them, so I'm sure that slows you down a bit. And I have to pour my drink. It's very complicated. What I would recommend uh, is, uh, is when you do quit, don't be afraid to use the gum because there's a, like a, a few things that you have to separate. There's the oral fixation. There's yeah. the smoking part. And then there's the addiction. And so, like, that, that's where it gets tricky. I should also say, I didn't smoke. I did start smoking this year, and I stopped for almost three months. Okay. And, then, and so in the same year, no, I mean, when I, and I, I felt that when I was coming down, like, yeah, I was sweat. That's the other thing, being older, like, I feel like it might be easier to quit at a certain, like, I've, I've done something really terrible to myself, and it's kind of amazing. <laughs> but i'm a performance artist what can i say yeah um, yeah do you, Javier, it's been it's what so go no it's it's been a pleasure i was gonna ask it do you have any any things that you, uh, you want to plug other than what you've already plugged you plugged uh queering kansas which i i will definitely check out and i recommend oh, uh, listeners who are interested in our conversation to check that out yeah and then what else yeah. what else do you have going on um, from now, from this point forward, as soon as I hang up with you, I'm going to find, well, I, I think I found a painting studio and I hope to sit silently and, um, paint, uh, recreations of works that were never meant to be made in the first place. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so no, uh, are, these, other than, are these projects that already existed? Like this everything that burned. I'm kind of like everything that burned and, you know, oh, like, okay, uh, okay. just, I think I want to do a little sitting down for a year and just, uh, quietly painting. That's what I want to do. Nice. And where can people find you? They can find you at time waster radio on, uh, Apple, uh, podcast, right? Not, not on Apple yet. I'm working on, I don't think I'm very, you, you know what? We'll have a side conversation where you explain to me how to do all that. Um, oh, it's a then, pain in the ass. <laughs> I it's a it's an rss feed right it's yeah you just take the rss feed and you submit it and there's like a you can't just make sure you don't put any ampersands in anything because like okay. that that will just destroy <laughs> anything that you try to do but yeah so time waster radio they can find it you have a website right uh you can go to my website paper waster press and then uh time waster radio on soundcloud right now those are the two things i'm doing so oh, yeah. soundcloud is plenty good as as uh yeah. as a as a um hosting platform cool man That's, yeah it's great to ha- I, I would, i'm kind of bummed that like usually when the recording ends i still talk a little bit to the person but i'm kind of bummed that like that's it because i feel like i have so much more to ask you about <laughs> the world uh i definitely want to have you back on man um awesome uh, any 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 other ideas you have just hit me up and be like hey i got another topic you're on you're welcome Okay. Oh, I appreciate that. That's really sweet. Tell Seth I said hello. Cool. Yeah, and it was an absolute pleasure meeting you. 
Um, thank you for uh, for calling in and having your your uh, Greek grappa set up. <laughs> it was a pleasure, man. I really enjoyed our conversation. All right. Same as same to you. Have, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. No worries. All right. Bye. Bye. Take it easy.